Happy New Year. Uh, We're going to pray and get into this short passage of just five verses in John 6. So have that open. Have your outline as well. Let's get into it. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you would make us wise, that you would help us to pay attention to your works, that you would help us to consider your acts of faithful love. And we pray that you would help us to see the signs that Jesus performs and help us to know the glory of Jesus and so believe in him and have life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to walk on water? Uh, Well, if you do, for just measly $20,000, you can walk on water with an electric surfboard, a flight board or a foil board. They get called. There's different brands out there. Uh, But these products, they're touted as the best way, the closest you can get to walking on water. Uh, It actually looks pretty fun, doesn't it, if you're athletic enough uh, to be that guy. Uh, and I'm also not, suge- I'm not suggesting that we all go out and spend $20,000 on these. Uh, but it is kind of fitting today that it's summer, it's beach weather, uh, and, and so we're in our summer series in John's Gospel and we're looking at the episode of Jesus' life where he's walking on the water at the beach. So uh, that's what we're doing tonight. We're back in our summer series in John's Gospel. We've had a two-week break for Christmas, for New Year's, uh, but now we look back at these signs, these miracles of Jesus in John. And by now, we should have it clear in our minds why John is telling us these things, these signs. Remember what he says? Here it is on the screen. He says, these, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So the signs of Jesus, the miracles, lead to believing in Jesus, and then that leads to having life in Jesus. These signs of Jesus, they point us to something of Jesus and his glory. They show us he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And if we believe in him, if we believe what the signs point us to about him, if we trust ourselves in him, then we receive life in his name, eternal life, life in abundance. We pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, life where we now know God and he knows us and he loves us, and life that starts now and and just flows into all eternity. So we've seen these signs that show us the glory of Jesus. We've seen a few so far, the water into wine. We've seen that the second and third ones, that the healing miracles. Uh, and last time, two weeks ago, we saw the fourth sign, Jesus feeding the 5,000, uh, giving bread to a multitude. And our passage today, our sign for today, Jesus walking on the water, it comes in that very same chapter as that last sign, the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, it's right in the middle of the chapter. These short five verses, they come just after Jesus has fed the 5,000 with bread. And then just after these verses about walking on water, uh, Jesus then explains, I am the bread of life. I'm the way that you receive eternal life by feeding on me, by coming to me and believing in me. And so we have to ask the question, oh, why, why those Those short five verses, this miracle of Jesus walking on the water here. Why did John put it together like this? Or why did Jesus do it in this order? Is Jesus, is John trying to show us something? I think he is. And as we explore it, we'll see how this short passage shows us this wonderful miracle and how it again shows Jesus' glory to us. So let's get into the story together. Have your Bible there. The first thing we see is the disciples are in darkness. So look at verse 16 with me. 
When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. So Jesus, where is he? He's in Galilee. He's just multiplied the bread for 5,000. It's been a long day. And if you remember, how did people respond to that miracle? Well, they tried to force Jesus to be king. They wanted him to be their political man. They wanted him to provide for them. But Jesus wouldn't have any of that. He refuses to be their king in that way. That's not the kind of king he would be. So the crowds, they dissipate. And it's at this point that Jesus and his disciples part way briefly. That Jesus goes one way, the disciples go the other. Jesus goes up on a mountain to be alone, to pray, and he sends his disciples away across the sea, the Sea of Galilee, in a boat. I'll meet you on the other side, he says to them. And so it's at this point that John tells us that it's evening as they set out. It's, it's nighttime. He wants us to know that the sun has gone down and it's dark as the disciples cross the sea. He actually says... He says evening, and then he says darkness has set in. John really wants us to know the disciples are in the dark. Now, this wouldn't be a huge problem for the disciples. Uh, a bunch of them were, were fishermen. They've been fishing in this sea for a long time. They fish in the dead of night all the time. They were pros. So at this stage, the disciples are not really worried. that They're just crossing the sea, as Jesus said. So why does John make this point about the darkness? I think he's trying to show us something. He tries to show us this image of darkness and light throughout his whole gospel. See, all along, John talks about Jesus being the light and this world being in darkness. And Jesus himself preaches that he is the light of the world. And he's come to shine in the darkness. Just look at how John's gospel starts. This is what it says about Jesus. Life was in him, Jesus, that is, And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. And a few verses later we read, The true light, Jesus, who brings light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is that light that comes into our world and shines. In our dark world, our spiritually dead and lifeless world, the darkness, Jesus breaks into it. So here in John 6, John is just giving us those hints, again, that Jesus is that light. And it kind of gets us to ask, well, how is Jesus shining light into this situation? How will he do it? So Jesus, the light, he says, uh, hasn't yet come to them on the water. And that kind of sounds like that that's what his plan was all along. Don't you think? Uh, It sounds like this whole scenario has been planned out by Jesus. He's going to do something big. He's going to reveal his glory to his disciples. But his disciples, they're not just in the darkness. There's actually more to this plan for Jesus. Because soon enough, the disciples face danger. See, they may have, they may have been fined across the sea at night. But then the situation takes a turn. Look at verse 18. It says, Then a high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. So this is the Sea of Galilee. It's this massive body of water. It's 21 kilometers by 13 kilometers. And so it's prone to bad weather and wind and dangerous conditions. And so suddenly, the disciples are not just in darkness. They're now in danger. It's all going wrong for them. They're just trying to cross the sea, but then they've got this strong wind coming against them. Verse 19 says they're about three or four miles into the sea. They're rowing and trying to get past this wind. They're out in the middle of the sea going nowhere fast. 
And all through the night they're doing this for hours and hours. They're rowing and rowing and rowing to get to the other side. It's just That sounds awful to me. I don't know if you like rowing or kayaking, but that doesn't sound good to me at all. Uh, it's kind of like for us, trying to think of what it would be like for us. It's kind of like trying to drive somewhere and getting every single red light. Uh, or then, on top of that, there's an accident, and so there's traffic banked up, and you get past that, and, and then there's a detour that you have to turn off, and that gives five minutes more. Then you get a flat tire, so you have to change that flat tire. Finally, you arrive to where you're going, and there's nowhere to park, and you just feel like driving home again. That's how the disciples would have felt, that they're stuck in this situation. Everything's against them, but it's now that Jesus' plan can come to fruition. It's now that Jesus comes to them with a sign and reveals his glory. Now at this point, we need to kind of do everything we can to defamiliarize yourself with this story, uh, if you know it. And you need to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Because at this point, late into the night, they're tired. The disciples are sleep-deprived. They're exhausted. They're worried if they're going to get to land safely. And it's dark. They can barely see where they're going. Maybe they have just some light from the stars, from the moon, or maybe just like some, some dim firelight on the coast in the distance. In this darkness, they're surrounded by churning water and sea and this wind just slamming their boat and just rushing through and past them. And they're doing everything they can to row, just to push against that wind so that the wind doesn't just blow them in the opposite direction. See, it's difficult, and it's dark, and it's tired, and it's dangerous. This is a situation that verse 19 happens. Just picture it with me as we read it. Imagine how you would react to verse 19. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. You see, they may have been a bit afraid of their situation at this point. But now they are terrified. Because in the darkness, in the chaos of their situation, what do they see? They see the figure of a man. But he's not just like in the water swimming or being pushed around. He, he's standing on top of the water. That would have been terrifying. Out in the middle of the sea, as it churns and, and rush, the wind rushes around them, there's a man walking towards them. It's like something out of a horror movie. Like it's a bit terrifying. They're rightly afraid, and you would be too. Because who else can do what this man is doing? Their only conclusion must be that he's a ghost or a spirit who's coming to get them. Because what man can do this? Who can walk on the water as if it were dry ground? Who can pass through the chaos and the wind and the waves unaffected? The disciples have battled in their boats for hours, in their boat for hours. Jesus is just strolling through the water. Whatever this figure is, whoever he is, he's to be feared. But Jesus is not there to bring fear. Look at what he says in verse 20. Jesus comes to help his disciples, not harm them. He comes to bring peace, not fear. Verse 20. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Probably would have shouted over the wind, but I'm not going to do that for you now. Uh, he reveals who he is to them. He says, it's me, guys. I'm not a ghost. I'm not here to harm you. But I actually think he's doing more than just revealing that it's him, that it's Jesus, your Lord, your teacher, your friend. Because he literally says to them, I am. 
when it says, it is I, literally what it says is, I am. Do you know the significance of that phrase in the Old Testament? I am is this way that God identifies, names himself in the Old Testament. When God revealed himself through the burning bush to Moses, what did he say? He said, Moses, go and tell my people that I am has sent you. And so this is Jesus here giving just another piece of evidence, subtle maybe, of his divine nature. He is God. Yahweh, the God of Israel, he's, he's I am in the flesh. Now, I'm not sure the disciples would have fully got it in that, in that moment, but just, just piece together the evidence of this situation. The fact that Jesus comes to them walking on water with power over creation like God. And the fact that he's powerful over the wind and the waves uh, and he just walks straight through them and, and then when he gets in the boat, they all die down. And the fact that he's, he's planned this whole situation to reveal his glory. Those things combined with him saying, I am, shows us he's revealing his divinity here. That he's God in the flesh. But on top of that, he says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Now, if Jesus is God himself, if he is Lord over all, even the wind and the waves, then they should fear him, shouldn't they? We should fear the one who has power and authority like this. But his disciples need not fear him. Why is that? Well, because he is for them. He's the Lord and they are his disciples. That's another thing that Jesus wants to reveal to his disciples that night. They think he's a ghost. The reality is he is more fearsome than a ghost. He's the Lord. In one sense, fear is the right response to Jesus. We see that in the Gospels all the time. But what does he say to his disciples? It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. I am for you. I've come to you. I am with you. See, what do you have to fear if the Messiah, if the Son of God, if the Lord over all, if the great I am is with you and for you? Fear, fear is a normal part of life in our broken world. Uh, it's part of our human condition since Adam. Um, but I think, I think that, that we modern Christians, we put up with too much fear in our lives. We fear too many things too often. We settle for fear and worry because we fail to see Jesus and his glory and his love for us and let those things cast out our fear. We often don't obey Jesus' command when he says, do not fear the person who can kill your body. Fear the one who can cast your soul into hell, God. And we fail to, to trust Jesus and take the comfort and assurance that, that only he is the one who should be rightly feared. Yet he also says, don't be afraid. See, what is, what is it that you fear in your life? And do you have a right fear of Jesus as Lord? Do you have a right fear of Jesus in his majesty, but also an awareness of his love for you as his disciple? An awareness of his love that then puts all of your fears into perspective. See, Jesus' care, his concern for his disciples, his love and protection of them. In that moment, yet also the fact that he gives us eternal life at the cost of his own life, all of that puts our fears into perspective. It shows that, that those fears are often futile, meaningless, even foolish. 
See, why would we fear? Why would we fear anything if the Lord of all is with us, is for us? Our fear of things in this world, it's a reality of our existence as fallen people. It won't go away fully and finally until Jesus returns in glory to to cast out all our fears and comfort us. But shouldn't we at least try to see things as they should be now? That Jesus alone is to be feared, but he loves us. And so those things that might threaten us in life, they're not even worth fearing. How do you need to change your view of the things you fear? Jesus is to be feared, yet he loves his disciples. He's with them, he's for them, he's with you, he's for you if you're his disciple, so don't be afraid. Well, the story concludes in verse 21, just five verses after it started, just this really short story. It is I, Jesus says, do not be afraid. And then verse 21, then they were willing to take him on board. And at once, the boat was at the shore to where they were heading. See, the disciples faced darkness, they faced danger, but Jesus comes to them. He gets in the boat with them and the sea and the the churning sea and the wind, they're gone. They, They get to shore effortlessly. And that's just another aspect of this sign, this miracle, isn't it? Jesus was in control of the whole situation. I think he sent the disciples across the sea on purpose to put them in this situation and then to save them out of it. It was his plan to come to them on the sea and show them his glory, that he's the Lord of all creation, that he's with them, that he's for them. And then he got in their boat and everything was calm. The sea was calm. The wind died down. The circumstances were resolved. But I wonder what was in the hearts of the disciples at that point. Wouldn't they be thinking, who is this man? I can't, just, I can't believe what I just saw. Did I really see that? Jesus walking on the water. Did that really happen? And what does it mean? Well, let's make that, make us stop and reflect. What does this show us about Jesus? What does the sign, the miracle point to? Why does John write it down for us? Remember, John writes these signs so that we might believe Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the Son of God. But what does this sign, out of all the others, what does this sign point to in particular? Let's just find our right slide. Ah, don't worry about it. The sign shows us Jesus walking on the water, the whole situation, it shows us Jesus is the Lord and Jesus is light and rescue. See, we've seen these things along the way, but I want to kind of draw it together and see it really clearly. See, first of all, Jesus is Lord. I don't know if you've noticed this with these miracles we've been looking at, uh, but it kind of seems like each miracle gets bigger and better than than the the one before it. Uh, Yes, all those other ones are great, um, but this one is just like ramping it up a notch as he commands the wind and waves, as he walks atop the water. It shows us that he is the Lord, the creator, the Lord of all. And just think for a moment about that that situation, walking on the sea. Think about the ocean, the sea. In Jesus' day, and in many places, and in many cultures, and to this day, the sea, the ocean, is, is this place of great power and great danger, isn't it? Even today, humanity is always struck by the uncontainable power of, of the raging sea and the threat that it is to our life and existence. Why do you think lifesavers exist? Because we step into this like shallow little bit on the edge of the ocean 
And we need people there to save people, let alone the whole rest of the ocean. But Jesus walks on top of the water. He stirs the wind, he churns the sea, and then he settles it. No issues, no sweat. No wonder the disciples were terrified. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. How easy is it to take Jesus' lordship for granted? It just slips off our tongue so easily. Jesus is Lord, that's what I believe. But do we grasp the magnitude of his lordship? Are we in awe of Jesus, the Lord of all? Let's not let that truth slip through our fingers. Because think of, when, think of the other things in the New Testament. When John says, all things were created through Jesus. When Paul says all things have been created through him and for him and by him all things hold together. Or think of when Hebrews says that Jesus upholds all things just by his word. Shouldn't we be in awe of Jesus, the, the great I am, God in the flesh? I pray that the weight of his glory, his lordship is on our hearts and minds every day. Do you think of him this way? Do you fear him as the Lord of all? But remember, even as the Lord, let's get to the right spot, he's also light and rescue. Because he says, do not be afraid, doesn't he, to the disciples. Yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is to be feared. But he's not to be feared if you're his disciple. Because if you're his disciple, he's, he's with you. He's for you. He's our light and our rescue. So you remember what John says, Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus is the light, the eternal life who shines in our dark world. He brings God's salvation. He brings eternal life to those who live in darkness, in condemnation to us. And it's this Jesus here who comes to the disciples in darkness. That's what the sign shows us. He's the one who gives us light, life, and we believe in him. As well as that, the sign shows us he's the one who rescues us from danger. That's what he does for the disciples. He comes to them in their hour of need. He calms the wind. He takes them to shore. He gives them life. This is why this miracle happens, remember, in the beginning of chapter, in the middle of chapter 6. Jesus is the bread of life who feeds us for eternal life. Jesus is the one who rescues us and gives us life, not death. See, in this world, before Jesus returns, yes, we will face all sorts of dangers and troubles and sorrows, but Jesus is with his disciples, in and through them, carrying them through those things so that he'll get us to eternal life on the last day. See, Jesus is the one who rescues us from those things. Maybe not in the moment. Maybe we do face great troubles and difficulties in, the life, in this life. We would be to misread the signs to say Jesus always gives us prosperity and heals us from all our sicknesses and gives us relief from all our troubles. He can do those things. Praise God when he does do those things. But no, ultimately the sign points to something greater. That ultimately he rescues us by giving us eternal life. He rescues us from death, our greatest enemy, from condemnation that we can't save ourselves from. He brings us from death to life and one day he will raise us with him forever in his kingdom. No one else can do that. No one else has. During the week I was um, reflecting on this and it made me think of Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4. 
Uh, When Paul was very near the end of his life, after he had faced countless troubles, all these hardships, some of them on the sea when he was shipwrecked, uh, he said this in 2 Timothy 4. He said, The Lord Jesus will rescue me from every evil work and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Jesus is the light. Jesus is our rescue. He rescues us from evil, from danger, not necessarily in the, in the immediate circumstances that we face, not necessarily to give us a good life now, but he rescues us from evil and danger, ultimately carrying us, holding us, with us through those things so that he then can bring us into his heavenly home, his kingdom. Do you rejoice in that? Are you glad about that? Do you put your hope in Jesus for that, for heaven? Whatever this world throws at you, whatever your earthly aspirations are, do you look forward to that, the day of eternity more? Do you know and believe that that Jesus who walks on the water is also in control of your life and your difficulties? Do you think that the Lord who gave his life for you doesn't know what's best for you, even in those situations? When he rescue and bring his people whom he loved, whom he laid down his life for, to his heavenly kingdom? What do we have to fear? He's the Lord of all. He's for us. He's with us. He's our light and rescue. He gives eternal life to those who believe in him. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise again for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his glory revealed to us. We thank you that you appointed him to be both God and man who would walk on the water and show his power and authority, who would come to his disciples and show his love and care for them. Father, help us to know his power and authority. Help us to know his love and care. And please, help us to be in his eternal kingdom when he comes and returns and takes us with him to be home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.